This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Radio.com studios here in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. And here to talk, of course, about the coronavirus pandemic. Let's start with some positivity today. Seems we don't get enough of that. Virus infections, deaths, the number of people in the hospitals, they're all trending down in most of the country. So time to relax, or do we still need to keep our guard up? I think I know the answer. Right, it always is. Yeah. Some colleges and universities keep trying to reopen, but when they do, virus cases increase. Now, wouldn't it make sense to just keep them all closed for now. What is life like on college campuses? We'll hear from some students about uh, what they're dealing with. And how did this virus spread so rapidly across the U.S. and the world anyway? One biotech conference might have played a giant role. And travel shaming is now a thing. We'll explain how you might want to make your vacation a secret. Just keep it among yourself and your family. I didn't go anywhere. (laughs) Movie theaters uh, reopening many parts of the U.S. They say their new safety measures will put people at ease. But first, the news about the virus uh, may be slowing down here. Dr. Philip Wang is director and health authority of the Dallas County Health and Human Services Department. So, doctor, would you agree things are apparently getting better? Sure. I mean, we're definitely seeing uh, positive effects from what we think uh, the universal masking Uh, We had closing of our bars, also both of those things right before the July 4th weekend. Um, And we've seen some, you know, progressive positive uh, impacts on our metrics uh, since that time. So here then comes the good and bad, right? The good Mm -hmm. is clearly that the uh, infection rates are, are, are going down, hospitalizations in many places down, death rate going down. But at some point, you reopen stuff because that's just the way the world is. Then what happens? Well, you know, that is the concern. I mean, the message we've been trying to uh, get to everyone, I, I mean, a couple things. Uh, first, you know, absolutely some of these positive indicators are not a sign that we can relax and go back to the old normal, um, that, you know, it's a, it shows that we just need to uh, keep doing what we're doing that's causing uh, some of the, you know, some of it's just slowing down in increases. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's it's looking like it's working, that everyone needs to remain vigilant. Uh, but, you know, some of this also, uh, you know, we plateaued uh, at, at some levels um, maybe about two months ago. Now we're plateaued, but we're at a higher level. So, you know, we still are at higher levels in some of the indicators like hospitalizations than we were a couple months ago. So, so again, another um, just indicator that we can't let up. Uh, this doesn't mean things go back to normal. And, and we do keep reinforcing there's going to have to be a new normal like this universal masking, still six-foot physical distancing, you know, staying home as much as you can, teleworking, those sorts of things. I guess I worry and, and other people worry about what we see when, when we have some college campuses with the outbreaks already after the first week or two of, of people being back. And in a lot of cases, it's still virtual classes, but you've got, you know, apartments and, and, and dorms. And we're going to get into this in the next segment as well. But if we still can't get large groups together, we're still going to see outbreaks no matter what happens. I mean, that's the nature of the virus. Right. I, I mean, that's where I think we're learning, uh, you know, what things we can do safely. But um, uh yeah, there, there are some concerning things that can change the picture that we're, we're certainly very cautious about. 
Is there any reason to believe, and I know that there, and I'm sure you're aware of it too, there are kind of sporadic reports from different people around the world, physicians, uh, medical researchers, who suspect that maybe, even though it's a very slowly mutating virus, maybe it is not as uh, potentially lethal uh, or as pernicious as it was in its earlier forms. Is there any reason at all, any evidence to back that up? I don't think we have any indications necessarily that that, that would change any of our actions. Uh, and uh, so, no, I mean, you know, we are still having uh, significant numbers of deaths. Uh, I mean, the numbers have gone down, uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's still a very serious condition. And, and, and the other thing, I mean, we just, we don't know what the long-term effects of this are. I mean, we just keep learning more about this all the time. We will not get too comfortable. Uh, doctor, yeah. thanks so much. Colleges and universities have been having a tough time trying to reopen and have in-person classes. The University of Alabama has at least 500 cases just six days into classes starting. Hundreds of other students forced into quarantine. Not to mention, hard to get students to socially distance away from the uh, lecture halls. Dr. Robert Schooling, Chief of Infectious Disease Division at the UC San Diego School of Medicine. So, Doctor, good idea to bring college students back to their campuses? Yeah, it's a challenge. Whenever we get groups of any type together, we have to think about uh, what kinds of activities they'll be engaged in that will give the virus an opportunity to spread. And what we've seen on the college campuses so far is this isn't the classroom teaching or the research engagement of students. It's really the extracurricular activities uh, that have been a challenge, social activities that um, students have been involved in. So then how do you account for that, right? Because you can even have a school campus with constant monitoring. So you you got to log into the app and tell us how you're feeling every day, and we're going to test you all before you come in. But then, I mean, we remember apartments in college. Some of us had one roommate. A lot of us had two or three, and then everybody's got friends, and you go out a couple times because it's college, and then there's COVID. Yeah, it really requires students taking leadership positions. Students have to be uh, aware of... Uh how the virus is transmitted, that it's highly contagious. And if you go to places like a bar where you have a lot of people uh, hanging around with no masks on, that uh, you're putting yourself at risk. And once you do that, you put everybody in your uh, living situation, which could be your apartment or your dormitory at risk, uh, when you get back. So it, it really is an issue of uh, trying to uh, kind of enlist the students uh, in a um, – campaign to keep the campus uh, a bubble that has the least amount of virus present, and then on campus to give the virus as little opportunity to spread as possible. Yeah, but here's the, but here's the, here's the thing, though, Doctor. Uh, I mean, we're now, what, over a half a year into this pandemic. It's hard for me, anyway, to believe that college-age students uh, don't get it by now, that they haven't heard all of the public uh, relations issues. They haven't heard all the messages from officials and physicians such as yourself about what they should be doing and should not be doing. But yet many of them continue to do it anyway. So is it that they just have decided collectively they don't care? Well, I guess there are a couple of things to say here. First of all, um, sometimes you don't understand what the implications are uh, of your actions. Sure, um, college-age kids may be thinking, I'm not going to get sick. Um, so I'm not that worried. Um, I can deal with this. I probably won't, I may not even have symptoms. But if the virus is circulating, they can't have college. And so the real implication, the real downside of, of not taking all this into consideration is not having a college experience. 
Now, you can say, well, then let's just get through the semester and uh, we'll have a vaccine in the fall. We'll be ready to go. Actually, I don't think we can count on that. And so what uh, college-age students have to try to sort out is whether or not uh, they can participate in a way that uh, allows schools to operate safely or whether they want to be a generation without college uh, and uh, who stay at home and learn from Zoom uh, because we're not going to have a vaccine in the next six months. We may not have a vaccine ever. And if we have a vaccine, it may not last very long. Uh, we've seen uh, in yesterday's paper, you saw the first report of a uh, patient who was infected in Hong Kong in February. The, he was reinfected with the second strain of virus, second time around in July. So I think it really is a matter of, of thinking about uh, whether or not college is important. And if it is, then we have to figure out how to run them. And that involves uh, really an active uh, participation on the part of the students. Now, in the schools that have closed, uh, some of the students who uh, were responsible for the closure were the, it was a minority of kids who were out doing things. And the other kids are, pu are pushing back now saying, you know, you're the one who, who deprived me of my college experience. So as I think these things happen, there will hopefully be a bit more peer pressure uh, on those who uh, uh, have thought it uh, isn't a big issue uh, to, uh, to start taking it more seriously. Dr. Robert Schooling, Chief of Infectious Disease Division at uh, UC San Diego School of Medicine. Doctor, thanks. Let's explore a different side of college life. What's the experience like of walking around a campus and attending class right in the middle of a pandemic? Let's go to Temple University in Philadelphia. KYW's Andrew Kramer talked to some students on campus to see how they're doing. Oh, you mind if I get your name? It's Emily. What, what year are you? Um, first year. First year, yeah. okay. So uh, this is your first year of college uh, mm -hmm. under all these uh, weird circumstances. Uh, t tell us what's, what's been going through your head. So it's kind of just difficult to like know really what to do and like what's going on and how to navigate like online classes with everything going on. Um, just trying my best, you know. How do you feel being here? Do you feel pretty safe or? Um, yeah, pretty good. I mean, everyone's being pretty safe wearing their masks and everything. Um, I feel pretty good about it, yeah. Being your first year, are you happy that uh, some of the classes and stuff are going to be in person as opposed to all virtual, or did you prefer virtual? Where was your head kind of going into the school year? Um, I pretty much wanted, I wanted the real experience, so like I kind of wanted most of my classes to be in person. Um, most of them aren't, which is unfortunate, but um, it's, I mean, I'm dealing with it, yeah. Do you feel like you're getting the real experience? Do you feel like you're actually um, at college? Like, I feel like when we get like really into it, I probably will. Um, Right now, it's kind of just like a lot of online stuff. And would you mind if I got your names? I'll start with you first, last. I'm you Olivia. Olivia. Yeah. And mine's Madison. So, well, what year are you guys? I'm a sophomore. So sophomore. We're both sophomores. Both sophomores. So, so you uh, were you here last year for? Yeah, yeah. Okay, good, good, good. Compared to, to last year, what's what's uh, first day of class like so far this year? For me, it's kind of similar because I have an in-person class, um, and I already had it this morning. It's just a lot more spacious in the classrooms, which is kind of nice because normally it's very crowded. Um, but yeah, it's kind of the same, to be quite honest. Other than having virtual classes, it's very much the same kind of first day. You know, things are open that we can access and it's not, it's not too different. What about the atmosphere? Is it the same atmosphere as uh, this time a year ago? Yeah, it's not as crowded like walking down the walkways and stuff, but there's still a lot of people out, which is nice to see. And you know, everyone's like sticking to the rules of wearing masks and things. So it's not like we're in danger really. Like obviously we take the threat seriously, but keeping that like atmosphere of still being a very big community at Temple is still there. 
do you feel pretty safe being here? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I live in an apartment building and um, everyone's hand sanitizing safe. Same as normal, so I think it's pretty safe being back. So, not like her, but I got put all online, so that's a huge change for me from last year. And two of my classes got put as like, we don't even have a scheduled time to meet. So for some people that aren't very good with like keeping up to date with their classes and their schoolwork, it'll be a little hard for them. And that is a big change because I do like the class atmosphere a little bit, but the way they're doing it, it still makes you feel like you're still seeing your teachers, which is nice and everything. And like she said, the campus feels the same. It's like, get out of your dorms, come outside, and you'll feel more a part of the community instead of being enclosed in your dorms the whole time. Coming into the year, were you hoping to get mostly online stuff or were you hoping to get some in-person classes as well? So since we're health professions, I'm pre-PT, I was hoping that at least my lab would be in person just because I am a hands-on learner. But other than that, I was hoping to have mostly online just because for safety reasons, like I would take the precaution and stay online, especially my parents were glad about that, but the labs they were a little upset about. Uh, so you're doing all online, yet you're still here on campus. Was it kind of a no-brainer for you? You know, I'm coming, I, I want my college year. I kind of got stuck into coming. I mean, I think I would have because I could not do my schoolwork at home with my younger brother and, like, just everything because I live off campus in an apartment. So a lot of kids got stuck in their leases and couldn't get out of it, which kind of sucked because they didn't tell us till last minute. So unlike the kids here, they, didn't, we, they could, like, leave whenever and get their money back if we get off. But if not, like, I still have to pay my rent. So I came no matter what. <laughs> and you feel pretty safe being here? Oh yeah, I love that everybody's wearing their mask where I come from. Like a lot of people don't take it seriously, which is very frustrating. So seeing everybody with their mask on makes you feel like we're all in this together and we're taking it very seriously. A biotech conference in Boston might have been responsible for spreading the virus around the world and in the U.S. People gathered in February for seminars and hung out with each other. Then they all went home and... <laughs> took the virus with them. New research that uh, hasn't been peer-reviewed yet says this conference uh, helps the early spread of the virus. Dr. Samuel Scarpino directs the Emergent Epidemics Lab at Northeastern University. Wasn't involved in this study, but we're going to ask him what he can teach us about it. So, doctor, how does just one conference spread the virus so far, so wide, become one of these super spreader events? That is one of the really challenging things about COVID-19. It is heavily reliant on these super spreading events to move around and spread throughout large parts of our society. And so when you have something like this conference where individuals come from all over Massachusetts, all over the United States, all over the world, into one place, spend a lot of time together, and then spread back out again, that is the, the seed for, for what ended up happening, which is, which is the spread of, of COVID, as you said, all, all, really all over the world from that event. How do we know that it was at the conference? Is it just contact tracing or did there, are there actual markers in the strain that, that they had or whatever it is that you can trace it back to that and not the airplane or the airport or the hotel or wherever? It's a combination of both uh, contact tracing uh, and using high-resolution genome sequencing and actually tracking the individual mutations that tie people back to that Biogen conference. Does knowing this somehow help guide us, or should it help guide us, in how to restrict the spread, the further spread of this virus in any way? Well, one of the things that we know quite well about this disease is how reliant it is on super-spreading events. It's one of the reasons why limits on group sizes 
physical distancing, mask wearing are so critically important because we really have to prevent these super spreading events to control the spread of the virus. So that's something that we understood pretty well before this happened. But looking backwards, trying to retrospectively determine why this got so out of hand is really important because what we have learned is that our focus on testing case definitions based off of travel history to China, the issues we had with testing in the United States, those compounded everything that happened at this event and really tell us that if we're going to get out in front of this thing in the United States, we have to focus on testing, we have to focus on contact tracing and preventing these super spreading events. What was going on in the big conference hall? And we can all kind of imagine if we've gone to one of these things, we know what it's like. There's the buffet, you're passing the salad tongs, you're all talking together and hugging. Is it just a handful of people that give off a lot of the virus because it is contagious and they're shedding virus? Or is this a bunch of people all with some of it and they just happen to be all together and it's jumping from person to person? In this case, it sounds like it was a little bit of both. And and that's really the, the challenging part about COVID and why, the, why mask wearing is really so important, individuals are often highly infectious just right before they start showing symptoms or when the symptoms are still mild. So these are not individuals who you've probably heard about, the asymptomatic individuals who will never have symptoms. These are people who will go on to have symptomatic COVID. It may not be severe, but they'll have symptoms, but they're infectious just right before or right during the, the early stages of symptoms. And so you might imagine someone in the buffet line who you would never notice was sick, or maybe they just coughed lightly once or twice and you, and you wouldn't give it two thoughts. And obviously that's a situation where you could infect lots of people because you're not engaging in, in physical distancing and at the time, no mask wearing. Dr. Samuel Scarpino directs the Emergent Epidemics Lab at Northeastern University. Doctor, thanks. Watch out for the travel police. If you're planning a vacation during this pandemic, not everyone is going to be happy about it. You go somewhere, you post some pictures on social media, then you start reading the nasty comments. Joe Brancatelli, editor and publisher of JoeSentMe.com. He talks to WBBM's Cisco Cotto about travel shaming. I think a lot of this has to do with the traditional sense that people don't like you, anyone, boasting about travel they can't do. Uh, remember back in the days when you'd have to sit through somebody's travel slides. And part of it was a reminder that you couldn't go there, but they've been. So there's part of that. I think the other part of it is simply you you just mentioned how the market is mixed. Um, you know, if you're in the market deep, you're doing pretty well. But if you're most of the rest of America, you're not doing well financially. So the same thing with travel. How dare you travel when the country's got a pandemic when I'm not making money. Um, and, you know, you can list the endless list. The wiser course might be to be, one, don't be on social media, or two, if you do go on vacation, don't boast about it. Yeah, just don't put it on social media because you're going to get people who are upset about it. Uh, whether they should be or not is another story. Uh, talk about traveling, given the fact that I, I know here in Chicago, it seems like every week you have states moving in and off of quarantine lists. It's, it's difficult to even keep any of it straight. Well, you know, at, at Joe sent me, we've put something up that's free. You just have to click on our coronavirus page. We're trying to link to every state's rules. But I'll give you a perfect example. I live in New York. We have family and friends in Hawaii. For us to visit Hawaii, when we go to Hawaii, we would have to do a 14-day preventative lockdown before we could leave our hotel room or condo. And then, you know, maybe we could go be up with our friends. And then when we return to New York, 
because Hawaii's on the do not travel list, we would have to lock down in our house for 14 more days on our return. Trust me, Cisco, I love everyone. I don't love anyone enough to be in quarantine for 28 days in order to see them. Yeah, and then your whole trip in between, right? I mean, you get the first two weeks of quarantine, then you actually get to enjoy yourself, and then you quarantine two weeks on the backside. Uh, that's something I'm sure people are bringing up online, too, as people are posting pictures of themselves on the beach. And well, exactly. The point being is, you know, I'm not one of those people who are deep in the market and own lots of Amazon.com, so I can't afford to sit in a hotel room in Hawaii for 14 days and do nothing. It ain't even with very low occupancy in Hawaii right now, as in so many places. You know, it's just not a practical thing. So, again, this all adds up to, okay, for whatever reason you were able to go somewhere and the rest of your friends and neighbors aren't, maybe just cool out a bit on it and, you know, don't push the point. Because, frankly, Cisco, it's going to be months, maybe even years, before the average American is going to be able to get back on the road. The signs are not good, both health-wise and financially, as well as the state of the travel industry. Well, and the challenge here, if you can afford to travel, whatever your situation is, if you are able to do it, I mean, the deals are just amazing, whether it's flights or hotels, because no one's traveling. If you can do it, now really is a good time, at least financially. uh, Financially, absolutely, although let's be fair about what you will get when you travel there. Let's say you want to come to New York. Okay, I'll leave Chicago out of it because everybody knows what's going on in Chicago land in Chicago. But let's say you want to come to New York. If you wanted to come to that glorious hotel you've always heard of, that glorious hotel's restaurants won't be open. They won't be doing food service. You can't go to the bar. Okay, in fact, in New York City, you cannot eat or drink anywhere indoors. Okay, and when you get to the rest of the city, again, there's no indoor dining. Many museums are closed. So unless you're prepared to go to someplace and sit on the beach, and that's all you want is to sit on a beach, that's basically the only vacation you can have right now that's still the same. And even then, after you're coming off the beach, don't be expecting to go to a good restaurant. Yeah, it's you're right. It is going to be very different for quite a while. Thank you, Joe Brancatelli. He's editor and publisher at JoeSentMe.com. Hey, remember uh, going to the movies? Yeah, popcorn. I really yeah. liked the popcorn. Yeah, giant, giant vats of it, <laughs> you know, nine billion kernels. That was the thing we used to do before the pandemic. But now, well, now we're getting closer to our pre-pandemic lives with many theaters reopening across the country. And they say they're doing it with new safety measures. Patrick Corcoran, vice president of the National Association of Theater Owners. So, Patrick, I go to the movies, I see this uh, Cinema Safe sticker or the sign. Uh, what does it mean? Yes. Uh, Cinema Safe basically is, is a set of protocols designed to inform moviegoers about what they can expect when they go to a movie theater pretty much anywhere in the country that's that's agreed to do it. You know, we have a lot of different regulations and and statutes across the country. Some, you know, states don't require masks, some do, but we wanted consistency. So when you go to a movie theater that displays the cinema safe sign, uh, you'll be required to wear masks to enter the movie theater, to be in the common areas and when you're seated watching the movie. Uh, there will be social distancing, you know, keeping you a certain distance apart when, wherever you are in the theater. 
there will be reduced capacity in the auditoriums, you know, as, whether it's going to be a percentage or a set number, so that you can have that kind of distancing space between your seat and, and somebody else's seat. You can sit together with the people you came with, but then have space around you. Uh, there will be improved air filtration and airflow from the air conditioning systems because fresh air is important and it keeps that mo moving through. Uh, you know, there will be areas for hand sanitizer and there will be enhanced cleaning and employee health training. And we'll be modifying the concession stands, you know, so that uh, there's less contact with people. There will be plexiglass between you and the, the employee. Uh, there will be contactless ticketing where it's available and mobile ticketing so that, you know, that, that kind of person-to-person, hand-on-hand contact is limited. So, especially when it comes to uh, to masks, Patrick, how is this going to actually be enforced? I don't, I don't know about you, but when I was uh, growing up in New York in those days, we had these matrons who would walk around with flashlights. Right. And if, and if you, like, you know, spoke out of turn or coughed, they would probably hit you over the head with a flashlight. Uh, nowadays, you know, most movie theaters I've gone to, they're kind of, you know, they're, they're college-age kids. Uh, are they going to be charged with telling somebody who says, I'm not going to wear a mask, or I'm eating my popcorn for the next two and a half hours, so I'm keeping my mask off. How are you going to enforce all this? Well, it's going to be through the will of the companies, you know, who've agreed to do this. And one of the things that, you know, I think we've agreed as an industry is that it is better for us as an industry to be strict now so that down the road, you know, we have a, a healthy business to, to come back to when everything gets back to normal. So it's in our own business interests to enforce this. So employees will be trained to not let people in if they don't want to wear a mask. Once they're in the theater, they need to keep their mask on unless they're eating or drinking. And there are ways to do that that are sort of different than if you're in a restaurant, you know, where the whole point is to eat and you've got forks and knives and shoveling food in your face and talking. In this, you're not talking, and it's really possible if you, you know, take your mask off one ear, put a handful of popcorn in, put your mask back on. It's really simple. You can slide your uh, your straw under your mask and sip your drink. So we're, we're going to be... Some of it's going to be, you know, encouraging. Some of it's going to be social pressure from your other moviegoers. But some of it will be enforcement. Patrick, you you know that that's not going to happen. You know that that you just try to t to tell some sixteen or seventeen year old who doesn't want to wear a mask that every time they they it's put a lot a, of mask yeah, moving. that every time they put a handful of popcorn, put the mask back on, chew your popcorn, take the they're going to keep the mask off and they're going to keep it off until they finish that giant vat of popcorn, which is going to take them probably the entire movie to consume. You know well, that. I, I, I don't know that. Uh, what we're going to, and it's not just going to be 16-year-olds coming to see movies. There are going to be a lot of people coming to see movies. And what we are asking, and part of getting these protocols across, and part of what we're putting out is that if you want to have nice things, you have to be responsible, <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> it's the nice <laughs> things <laughs> argument. <laughs> you want right. nice, nice things. things. Do this. <laughs> All right. Patrick Corcoran, Vice President, National Association of Theater Owners. Patrick Thanks. The pandemic has been stressful for a lot of us and scary for many, many others. A group in Japan wants to help ease people's minds, and it plans to do this by putting people in coffins <laughs> surrounded by zombies with chainsaws. Naturally. Yes. This that, is exactly what I want to do right now. Yes, that'll really make you feel at ease. People get into the coffin, they listen to a horror story, and watch actors perform and get poked with fake hands and squirted with water. <laughs> the coordinator of this show says the goal is to offer people some relief by having a good scream. 
If you're worried that people could catch the virus from the zombies, the coffin has plastic shields. Because, of course, it does. A good scream. I'm going to have a good cry if I'm in a coffin and zombies are poking me. I don't know if this is an ingenious idea or one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. I don't I, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking about it. I can't tell. To be determined. Yeah. Uh, thanks for listening to us on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. I think I decided. Yeah? Yeah, I'm not going to tell you.